When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. Master, everybody, we are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast, episode 266, SEO for small business. So today we're going to talk about SEO for small business and with I don't know, a bit of a disclaimer or what this is, but this episode is not for the people that are, you know, the, the masters of SEO, the people that know absolutely every in and out and keyword research and they know what tools to use and they're spending hundreds of dollars a month on different tools. That is absolutely not what this episode is for. This episode is for you if you're interested in getting a client that say has done minimal or even no SEO in their past. They have a website out there and they're thinking, hey, you know, this isn't getting much traffic or, you know, should I look into this SEO thing? And so that's why it's for small businesses because it's meaning small businesses online more or less because they, they they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what keyword research is. They don't know what technical SEO is and they're just kind of floundering. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And if you'd like a a discount on Scrimba, the learning platform, the web development learning platform. You want to learn more about web development, you can go check out the link in this show's description and in the show notes. It will give us a monetary kickback, but it will also give you a nice discount, so go check that out. So let's just jump right in here. Uh, SEO for small businesses. Uh, so SEO, if you yourself are versed in it, is not easy. The individual concepts are pretty easy. And until you sort of start getting into the higher level, you know, hey, I've been doing this for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or I, you know, I'm pushing people from 10K visits a month to 300K and it's super easy for me. And I'm, I have 17 SEO tools and I got alarms going off everywhere when plat- platform updates happen to Google and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, it's the actual individual concepts are easy. But SEO for small businesses is still a challenge, even when you're just teaching them the basics, because they don't have the budget, the staff, the time, or the expertise to constantly strive for high page rankings. And if you've worked in an agency or maybe you're a freelancer, no doubt you've been asked, I want to be number one on Google. And my answer, when I say this nicer to the client, is usually, that's nice. You know, we don't set that. You don't set that. Google sets that. And we try our best to get you there and we fight to get you to the top and we'll absolutely help you help get you there. But it, this isn't something where I go into the metadata and I just like type in a bunch of keywords and we're good. You know, that's keyword stuffing. The meta, the meta tag with keywords isn't really used anymore. Um, last I heard was used on Bing and I don't know if that's even true anymore. So like that kind of strategy is kind of out the window at this, at this point. And so, Companies that focus on SEO will do this sort of pretty lengthy process. And this is a high level. So they'll make a strategy, right? And that takes a while. They get multiple people inputting, you know, what type of content they want to do, what type of pages, what services do they offer, 
Do they have a marketing page? Do they have landing pages? Are they paying for ads? Uh, do they have a marketing site that advertise that does all the SEO for a web app that is not really SEO'd, and all and that marketing site leads you to the web app? You know, like how you know what what is this SEO strategy? Then they implement it. So they put in all their keywords. They do their blog posts. They do their headings. They do their uh, tools. They in, or install their tools, their analytics, their Google search uh, consoles. They're all kinds of things. They get everything all you know. They they I- execute that strategy. And then during the implementation and certainly after the implementation, they check and analyze the data. So they'll search, they'll look at Google Search Console and they'll say, okay, you know, we're getting a lot of impressions in this keywords. We're not getting a lot of clicks. Why is that? Or, hey, we're getting a lot of clicks here. This area is a little untapped. There's a lot of related keywords here. Let's do that. Oh, hey, we're in, uh, you know, we're at the top. We're in the, the related search, I think they call them SERPs. Like we're in the related search terms and we're getting we're getting pulled into things. Or uh, if you're a stat heavy website, maybe you're getting pulled in as the quote unquote official source uh, for some of the statistics for an athlete or something like that right at the top of Google and like those sort of little Google cards at the t- excuse me at the top. And so you're like, OK, this is great. Right. So you, you analyze all that and you try to improve on things that aren't doing well and you try to maintain and, of course, improve on things that are doing well as well. And then they adjust the strategy based on that analysis, and then they continually work from there, innovating, iterating, and executing according to the evolving data set, the, all, that, all that analytical data, right? Now, that's a lot. And you go to somebody who says, hey, I run you know, a, a, the local mechanic shop in a small town. I'm kind of interested in SEO. What do you do? And they've already hung up on me if I've, if I've talked to them on the phone about this. They've already hung up. This is too much for them. They're not interested because they know that the bill is going to be a lot, but they also know that they're spending the majority of their time in the shop. They don't really maybe have a marketing person or maybe they still just advertise in the local newspaper and like it, it hurts them. Like it, 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 it hurts them to hear this because they're going to just throw away any sort of hope on SEO and, and for a small business without the budget, the SEO results are typically worse, right? But you don't want to advertise it like that. The reason why it's worse is because they won't go as widespread. They're not constantly checking different areas. An example for a mechanic shop might be, let's say, um, a certain car, we'll just call it car A. Car A has a major problem that has been in the news like crazy with their engine. They have a major engine problem. And so someone who's savvy with SEO, who's looking at all the tools, looking at all the trends, and is running a huge mechanic shop or even a, a chain of mechanic shops might have a blog where they talk about car A's car A's engine failing and they want to hit those keywords. And then they'll say, by the way, we can help you with that engine failure. We can replace it. We can fix it. We can do whatever needs to be done. Click here and, you know, book an appointment today. That's great SEO. That's a great way to do it. But that's too much for the small local business. And so we're not trying to get them to be as widespread. We're not trying to get them to be as big as 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 they are. What we're trying to do is sort of what I've said before, which is you're trying to get you're trying to match the solution to the customer. You're trying to choose the right tool for the job. So they're not they're not trying to be widespread. They're they're one mechanic shop. They don't they're in, you know, let's say rural Canada. They don't care what's happening in in the United States because customers aren't going to drive all the way from Florida to rural Canada to get their car fixed, right? So, yeah, the SEO results are going to be worse, but we can we can specifically make the most out of their budget and their time if we do three things. If we implement great technical SEO. Second, if we leverage their SEO strengths, 
And third, if we push for content and efficiency, and I will expand on all three of those as the episode goes on. SEO is a really tricky thing. Um, and a lot of the, th- this comes down to a lot of like web dev shop versus uh, full stack solution kind of shop. Right. So if you're a web dev shop and Matt and I have done this a lot, especially in the early time, your focus is on creating the best website for the customer, making sure that they appear on Google and stuff like that. Right. That, that's that's the laser focus. When you start expanding a little bit, you want to become a full stop shop for a company to be able to come to you and get their online presence established. This is where you start hyper focusing in on SEO. And this is where you start realizing that, hey, the website is probably the smallest cost for the client. Everything else is where the cost comes in, where the client has to start spending the, the, the money. And the challenge is always going to be like, Matt and I are great at technical SEO. I think Matt is now starting to up his game on the other, other part of SEO, which is like the content-driven, the paid SEO, all of that, right? But that's where the expertise, the money will come in because you can pretty much tell people where to spend it. When you're first starting out as a business, your initial thought is, okay, I need a website. And that's all that's going to drive traffic. But the reality is, and you have to get educated on this, that's just step 0.1. Everything else on top of that, as you grow as a business, is how you can spend money to make money, right? Like that's that's business 101. Where do you put your money to get the most return on investment? Whether that be in the product, whether that be in the marketing side of things, and whether that be in the SEO. And the SEO can be literally like, hey, I'm going to pump Google ads, right, to get my SEO up. And I'm going to also pay 10 content writers <laughs> to pump my blog. And that's like, you know, you're talking seven figures, right? You're talking six figures, seven figures. So all of a sudden, like the small company might have to spend six figures, to start taking on the giant, the giants in their space because they're growing at that rate. So like all I'm saying right now is that SEO is such a broad topic that when you're first starting out, keep it as narrow as possible and start to expand your knowledge as you grow in your own knowledge to be able to provide that service to your customer. Don't falsely claim that you can get your, your customers to number one page of Google unless you know that there is a strategy to it to get there. Right. And Matt and I, I think, did a really good job at setting expectations throughout our web development careers of being like, hey, first page of Google, that's a lofty ask. We're going to try our best. Here's the steps that we're going to take. But if you want to get there, you're going to have to spend money. And 95% of clients end on that chapter. They're like, we don't want to spend that money. But again, some of that is because we just did not sell where to spend money on correctly as well. So this is partly on us as not being able to capitalize on the money that maybe they could have spent if we were, if we were to tell them concretely that, hey, if you spend that money, you will get more money back. And, and there's no guarantees in SEO either. Like even if you say, yeah, I can get you on the first page. I mean, there's some might be someone else working right now against you. Uh, you know, in, in silence, they they haven't opened up their auto garage, if we keep it in that same example, and then they're going to come out of the gate swing and they got a person that's better at SEO than you and boom, they've stolen all your keywords. And maybe Google just doesn't like your you know domain for some reason and you have to work on that and that's going to take a long time and it's outside of the customer budget and all that type of thing. There's also an aspect of, of stuff, too, where we, I remember really early in our career, Mike, we were asked to, to there was a small sort of uh, factory supplier and 
he asked us to you know sort of get him onto the front page front page of Google. And when we went to the keyword that he wanted, the first six results were all paid, and we're like, man, you know, there's three or four results on this page. This is you know years ago now, and there's three or four results on this page. Like you're you're we need to beat out these three people. And when you look at them, they were huge suppliers. They were people that supplied him. And it's like, man, you know, you're working out of your garage. Sorry. Like, there's just no way. I don't know if he was working out of his garage, but it was a small shop. And it's like, you're, I'm sorry, but there's just no way for us to beat these people. There's just no way. Unless you want to continually put the work in nonstop and have, you know, writers and, you know, we had to work on this. This is not something that is, oh, hey, you know, I pressed the, the, the right sequence of buttons and it's a one to one. You get it out. Sometimes you do you know, everything right and your SEO goes up, you know, your results go up, but someone comes in and does it even better than you and then they beat you or you get, you know, dethroned because another topic went viral that month or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's really hard to sell a small business on something like that because when you say, oh, you need to continually work with me, they're like, like, I kind of wanted this to be, you make my website, it does really well, I'm on the front page of Google and I leave because... I don't have the money to consistently invest in this. And a lot of, uh, especially small business owners, and we learned this in the beginning was we were told, Mike and I, you know, attended different entrepreneur things or read different entrepreneur things and watch videos. And it was always a warning of like, you know, with small businesses, a lot of the time, you know, they want a lot of stuff, but they don't, and they value the money more than the service. And so they're scared to hand you that a hundred dollars even if there's a good chance it'll make them 300 because they're, they worked so hard to get the 100 that they're scared. They're scared to give you it. And so like they, they don't want to, you know, if it's kind of like, it's not literally gambling, but it's like a little bit of a gamble. Like it, you might tell them, yeah, I'll make you 300. And then all of a sudden the economy has a massive downturn. And even if you are number one on Google, their business goes to those for a crap. And now they're like, now they're out that a hundred dollars. And so that is a problem. And so these strategies here, are really sort of designed to be, again, I'm not like, you know, the SEO god of all gods or anything. This is what I suggest to my customers. And we've had massive success to the point where one of our customers actually, you know, increased by, I believe he said 300%. Don't quote me on that, but it was a lot. It was much more than 100% of his business um, on one of his sort of side hustles. So first one here is implement great technical SEO. So technical SEO. So what technical SEO is, is more or less making sure that everything is working from a technical perspective, making sure that you fill in all of your metadata, making sure that the metadata is all, you know, good, meaning that it's not a bunch of keyword stuffing. Make sure that even if uh, the customer in their CMS has not, uh, you know, filled in an open graph image, meaning the image that's say shown uh, as a link preview on something like Facebook, if someone shares the link, make sure that there's, you know, some sort of generic but relevant image put in there. and in order for you to, you know, specifically like do technical SEO, you, you what you really need to do is you need to like look at what the the CMS has to offer. You need to go in there and and really sort of make it efficient for people. And what do I mean by that? So with we have a client who is very forgetful and you know, he'll forget to write in titles, he'll forget to write in descriptions, he'll forget to write in whatever. And so what I do is I try to make things you know, as automatic as possible. So I'll make it so that in the CMS, I have a uh, a field there in which it's uh, character limited, so he doesn't go off the rails. But it's also character limited to a minimum as well. So he doesn't write like, 
this is about forklifts or something. I'm just making that up. This is about forklifts. And he doesn't just write that. And it, and it really sort of like forces him to write within a certain range of characters. It allow, and because it's mandatory, he can't forget it. And there's some other pages where I know that he's busy and he can't fill those pages in. And I'll have sort of a bit of generic text in there. And it's not, you know, the greatest SEO strategy, but it's much better than having it completely blank in my experience. Because Google will go in, look at the page, and it'll they'll change the title of the description, you know, if they if they feel like it. If they think that the title is like, you know, too generic or too misleading or something, they'll go and change it. And is that the the best SEO strategy? No, but this is something that you may need to do um, for a uh, for a small business. So this ensure this this includes, you know, ensuring that the domain targets the businesses keywords is is one of the main steps so something like um we had a guy who he wanted his uh his seo or excuse me his um domain name to be the name of his business it's like okay do you have a local reputation at all and the answer was no and i said okay you know this is one small thing but you know we're not writing a huge blog we're not targeting a thousand pages we're not like writing a thousand pages filled to the brim with keywords and all this let's make that Let's make your domain name what your service is. And so in this case, let's say in this example, it might be like car mechanic, right? Something that's really generic or car mechanic and then the name of the town or something like that dot com. And then that way, you know, you are targeting that type of keyword. And some people will hate that and you don't need to do that. But we've done it for uh, a client or two and they've been happy with that. It's just one extra little keyword because they're not going to have a huge blog. Having a nice open graph image, I've already mentioned that, have a nice, so that if a customer shares a link on social media, all the posts look professional. Um, you can also do this for a budget, do this on a budget by finding a few good looking stock photos. So if you don't have the budget or if they don't want to, uh, or they don't have any good photos, they don't want you there taking photos. And you can get like a couple good photos. So again, car mechanic, pretty simple. You can get pictures of cars and wheels and tires and tools and those type of things. And as long as it's relevant enough, it's still sort of like a bit of eye candy when someone shares on the social media and it doesn't look like, you know, oh, this is like a small mom and pop shop and they forgot to set their open graph image. Writing good meta titles and descriptions that are proper length. I've already mentioned the proper length, but, you know, writing good meta titles, meaning that you're not keyword stuffing, but you are relevant. And what I always try to shoot for when writing a good title is I try to make it so that Google doesn't have to replace my title. So like I've already mentioned, Google will replace your title. So if you if you write a title that says like golden, like the top 10 golden cars of all time, the top 10 cars have been painted gold and you're not talking about that, you're talking about lawnmowers, Google might see that. And I mean, it's not going to be great for your SEO, but they will change that name of the that your title to like the top 10 lawnmowers or something that's more relevant. They will do that for you. And so I always try to say, <clears throat> I want to be in control of this. And so I want to make sure that they don't replace it. And the same thing goes with the descriptions is I, you know, I'll double check it once a year, approximately what should the length of my description be? And then I go from there. And I know that some people say, you know, write the description as long as you can, because it'll just get truncated, write the title as long as you can, because it'll just get truncated. But for me, I like to be in control of what the people are seeing on the, on Google. I want them to see the whole title that I wrote. I want them to see the whole description that I wrote. That's just something that I do. You might disagree with that. And that's totally fine. Next thing here is proper heading hierarchy. So having your H1s, your H2s, your H3s in proper order. And the way that you can kind of think of this is, is like H1 is the most important thing and Google knows that, right? They're like, okay, this is a very important bit of text. It's the title or it's like a major title somewhere on the page. 
H2s are, you know, are also equally, you know, sometimes equally as important or almost as important uh, to, as the H1. So what I mean by that is a lot of people will do H1 as your main title of your blog, and then the main title in the content will be the H2, right? So people will use H1 for the main title, then H2 for all the titles within the blog, and then they'll go, then they'll step down. So let's say uh, you write um, the articles named how to repair your engine. That's a H1. H2 might be this is how you remove the pistons. And then the H H3, which is a subsection of the H2, might be like, these are the tools you're going to need to remove the engine because it's a piece of that next section. And you go up and down. You don't have to keep, you know, going H2, 3, 4, 5, 6. If you have another section that comes down to like, how do you repair the brakes? That's another section. That might be an H2 again. So just make sure you have proper hierarchy and make sure that you didn't, you know, label like, how do you repair your engine as like an H3? And then the next thing's like, what tools do you need as an H6? And it's just like all over the place. Like go, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the way down to six, of course, as you need it. Um, use as much relevant text as possible. So this is really challenging for small businesses that don't do much online. So they don't do blogs. They don't have, you know, big descriptions for their services. They don't do any, like they don't have a lot of that. And we've had a lot of trouble with customers, specifically when we talk to them about you know, hey, what do you want to write on this page? And they're sort of like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, well, you know, give us a description as to what you do. And it's like, well, you know, I fix cars. It's like, oh, like, thank you. But like, we have to, you know, we have to give Google something. We have to give these search engines something. And so, you know, get as much and collect as much relevant text as possible, um, even though it is a struggle and, and, and like really push for that and, and, and ask them, you know, okay, what do you specialize in? Oh, I specialize in fixing Volkswagens. Perfect. Okay. Maybe you do a little research on the side. Hey, you know, I hear Volkswagen's, uh, Volkswagen specialists know, uh, this certification. I don't know. Again, making all this up. You know, do you know that? Yes. Okay. Perfect. And that's another bit of relevant text. And so sometimes you really got to push to get this text out of them. And then you're, you, the web developer is going to unfortunately be responsible for writing this text in an SEO friendly way and displaying it on the page because that person just doesn't know anything about online is, is, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of small business owners, they just don't, they know nothing and they don't understand why you need text at all. I feel like we made this mistake many times where we kind of trusted, and I'm saying this with air quotes, the client to come up with the text and a couple things ended up happening. One, the client never got back to us with text that that happened on a consistent basis. Consistent basis. Consistent basis. And the second thing they would come up with like the worst garbage text you could possibly imagine. And then, and then because we trusted them, we would put that text on the page and of course it would do bad. So I think the lesson there and Matt kind of laid it out is you're the expert, um, regardless of the field of domain or whatever, you need to ask the right questions of the client to figure out where they need to, what, what information they need to put. And then you have to come up with the, the right structure of that information and the content itself. And you need to charge for it. That's the other thing. This isn't something that should be as part of a, well, it should be as part of the package, but it needs to add additional cost because it's not easy. And this takes time and significant effort researching what the area of expertise is, researching competitors and stuff like that. So just make sure that's part of your process as you move forward. Yeah, 100, 100%. And, and we, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but one of our first sites ever, we had a site with no text. We asked the person, you know, we need the content, we need this and that. And then it just became this like, oh, we want this like designer site and we don't really want any text. Like, that's just not what we want. And it's like, oh, okay. And so there was, at the end of the day, I think there was a slider with one or two images and I think a contact form. 
Yep. And that was the whole website. And it went down from, you know, a really basic five five page small business site to one image that wasn't that high resolution because that's what they provided and a contact form. And it was like, OK, like, I don't really know about this. But anyway, uh, so like, yeah, like you have to really sort of get the text from the people. And it is a challenge. Um, this is a controversial thing that I'm about to say. Split single scroll pages to separate pages. I get told to do single scroll pages all the time. I push back all the time and I win about 50% of the time because people want, people love this idea. They, they think that people, you know, are going to stay on one page and scroll more than they are going to click. And I, and I argue with them all the time. I say, no, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. Like you think that it's a big action to click on a button in a nav bar to go to another page for the contact page or the about us page or whatever. But in reality, what you're asking them to do is load the page, stay on the page, wait for it to load, and then scroll all the way down to the section they'd want. And yes, you can have a sticky nav bar that loads the different sections. I still don't like this. In my opinion, especially for small business sites, I prefer separate pages. What the separate pages allow us to do is actually, it goes back to the, the, next, the, the previous point about relevant text. What it allows us to do is we say, we have five pages to fill here. And it puts a little bit of pressure on your client and you, you go, we need five pages worth of text here. And then you can tackle each page individually. But if you tackle one single scroll page, I personally think it's worse for SEO. I know some people have great, great, great um, success with it. I think it's worse for SEO, especially on small sites. Okay. And what, what ends up happening with the customer and the agency say experience is that they'll say, well, this section can be really small because we have that other text that we gave. Because they know it's all on one page. And my argument always is, no, we can't. Like we, there's so little text on this site as it is. We have to get this text from you. I'm sorry, but we have to get this text. It sucks. And you know, it takes effort, but like, that's it, man. So really, like to me, I like to split single scroll pages to separate pages, you know, unless it's something absolutely ridiculous where there's only literally like a sentence each. If you just can't get any more out of your client or if they're demanding single scroll, go for it, I guess. And I have done it, but I, it's not my, it's not what I prefer. And I think it results in worse SEO because I think it results in worse or less content. The last thing here is connect and test all your analytics tools. So maybe Google analytics, maybe Google search console. Um, I forget exactly what the Bing one's called, but there's like a Bing search console as well. You know, whatever that you think you need, you know, make sure all that's uh, connected and working because you don't want to Remember, like we're working on a budget here, so we want to make sure everything's working, connected, and running just just the way it is, um, so that whenever you or your client goes in to look, it's working, and they can quickly check because maybe they only have an hour that night. Quickly check, and maybe quickly write a blog post, or quickly check, and then quickly ask you a question type thing. Personally, I find Search Console to be the most helpful for small businesses, as many are fine, you know, with just a hundred visits a month. And so what happens is, is they might think, you know, you're a local mechanic shop, you got a hundred visits a month. It's like, that's what's good. That's what Google analytics is telling that person. Like they don't care about like what language, you know, the, the browsers are, they don't care about the bounce rate. Like they don't know what any of that means. And even though some of that stuff is important, a hundred visits to a local mechanic shop is a lot. It's a lot of, it's a lot, right? Uh, on our website. Cause obviously they're local. People are driving by. They're not going to go to the website. They might just pull in and they might just call the number on the sign. So they're getting more than just that 100, those 100 leads. And so to me, Google analytics is more about seeing the amount of traffic. And then yes, there's other data in there, but it's more about seeing the amount of traffic. Whereas the search console can allow them to, to, 
to steer into an area. So, for example, you might be able to convince them of something. So you might be able to say, you're getting a lot of searches in the 10-minute oil change department. And you're not getting any clicks. Maybe we should write a blog post there. Or maybe we should offer 10-minute oil changes and have a page that, that's all about that. And now you're the 10-minute oil change person of this small town. Something like that. So to me, I think Google Search Console is the most uh, the most easy to read for, for clients, especially when they're not that tech savvy. I think it's the most helpful for small websites that don't care about mass traffic, but more that, more that they're just like generating leads, for example. Um, we have a guy who, you know, his site gets 75 visits a month. But we set him up with a, like a Google My Business card, and he says he gets phone calls so much that his side hustle might become his main hustle. And like he's told us that. Like I never asked even for that. Like he was so happy with it. And I'm I can see his data, um, you know, on a regular basis. And like he was so happy with it. Like he's so so happy with it. And so that's great to see. That's absolutely great to see. It's great to hear about. And you know that's that's just a successful you know, bit of SEO and a successful bit of like online presence helping effectively. I'll add one more here. Uh, and I would say site performance is another kind of SEO, technical SEO trick. Um, I'm not saying like get a hundred page score for every page. That's not, you know, worthwhile most of the time. What I do think you should do is check your competitors uh, page scores and beat them. Right. So a lot of times your competitors are going to have terrible page scores because they have ancient sites. As long as you can beat them, that means that you're going to rank slightly higher in them in that category, which means that again, your SEO is slightly higher. Uh, I've seen a lot of people go down the rabbit hole of trying to like min max their, their page speed scores. And usually, you know, to get from, you know, 70 to a hundred is going to take way more time than to get from 50 to 70, right? Or from like zero to 70, however you want to say it. Um, so just make sure that you're spending the time wisely, depending on what kind of site it is, depending on what your budget is. But it's kind of important to at least have that in the back of your mind. Those are kind of selling points even for you as well, because we've gone in and we've been told, hey, like, you know, build this, build this page for us. So we do. And it's super media heavy. And so, you know, you push back to an extent, you compress the images, you do what you can. But sometimes it's just so much media and it's, and it's required. They won't budge. So you do everything you can. And you get, say, the page speed score to be in the orange category, the middle category. And you go and you compare it to their direct competitor. And that person has like a 12 and you have a 65 on page speed insights. I send that right to the client. I take a screenshot of both of them. And I send that to the client and be like, hey, we worked on your performance today. Uh, you know, you're 50 ish uh, higher than your than your main competitor. And they love that stuff. Uh, people will love that stuff. They're like, oh, heck yeah. You know, like we're, we're above our, or we're above that, you know, that shop next, next, next door or whatever and that type of thing. So yeah, Mike's 100% right. Ancient sites, you can probably beat them out pretty quick. Or if they're just using, you know, like a website builder themselves, they haven't hired because they're also a small business. Um, they probably don't know how to compress images and use WebP and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So that'll help you absolutely. And so that, that's kind of ends technical SEO. I know that we talked about content there and, you know, sometimes, you know, some people will say, you know, that's not really technical SEO. I think it is because Google needs that. Like it literally, it literally needs to read the page. And if you have no text, sure, it'll read the title. It'll read the description and it'll, you know, figure stuff like that out. Maybe you do have a, a, a title on the page, like literally like an H1 on the page somewhere and it'll be able to read those. But it needs that context to make sort of like a, I would say like a technical decision. So whether it is technically technical SEO or not, um, to me, I consider it just as vital as technical SEO. Next thing here is leveraging their SEO strengths. What do I mean by that? So this isn't any sort of like industry standard term, SEO strengths. What is that? 
search for strengths that your client has that can be converted into SEO strengths. I have some examples. First one here. Try to sell local only. That's what their goal. The client tells you, I just want to sell to local people. Fantastic. That is a massive SEO strength. Why? Now we're not competing with Whole Foods. Now we're not competing with all these big whatever. We're competing with the local market. And maybe there is a local Whole Foods. But what do the locals care about? What do the locals use? What do the locals have in that area? You have an SEO strength because Whole Foods is not going to have the like the zoom in potential. They have tons of SEO things, of course, right? They're a huge company. They have tons of SEO things. They have tons of blah 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 blah. Right? They can they can write about organic and this and that, and they know a broad stroke about the region. But if you're really kind of drilling down into your customer's local area and you're learning about the local area, you can target specific keywords and specific phrases that the people want. Specific festivals, even let's say. If they're like, hey, we have a market stall at the local fair. Fantastic. What's the name of the fair? When is it? Let's actually have a page for that fair. And let's talk about and share pictures on and have a little more or less blog post or content page about that fair. And then when people look up that fair, you might show up. Or when people look up that fair in your booth, they'll remember going there or they'll remember that they want to go there. So trying to sell local only is a huge SEO strength. And many small businesses only share, only sell, excuse me, locally. Especially if they're a mechanic shop, they're literally in that one spot. Next thing here, do they have a famous name locally? And you can use that to, to brand as your main keyword sometimes. So I know I mentioned like, hey, you know, that one guy, you know, oh, I want, I want the name of my website to be the name of my business. And I'm like, well, you know, you offer one service. Let's SEO the title of that and let's make the domain name the name of that service because we're able to actually nail it right away. And we did a .ca because he's in Canada. And again, massive success in that way. But what if his name, his business name was famous? Sometimes the name of the business is what's famous, especially in small towns. You're talking about famous family names where maybe the locals trust that family name. Maybe they trust that that family farm to provide them with, you know, their favorite corn every year. And that's a huge, huge thing in, in Ontario here with various farms in little local areas and various municipalities. There'll be, you know, this person's corn, that person's sweet corn, this person's farm. And people know, like I go to a, a place called Bennett's for for all my apple stuff. And that's a local orchard, local whatever. That's who I trust to get all my apple pies and all that stuff from for Thanksgiving. And that that's where I go. And cider donuts. Can't miss them. So. Those are the like those things right there, famous local name. And so you can use that as your main keyword sometimes. You can use that throughout blog posts, throughout content pages. Maybe you'll name your maybe you'll name your domain name that, right? That is an SEO strength that didn't come from SEO. That came from their reputation locally among the community. Maybe they help the community. Maybe they're just a well-known family. However, they got it. If it's a famous and not infamous, clear, like not infamous to be clear, a famous, like a good, in good standing local name, use that as an SEO strength. Use that in, on their website for sure. Next thing here. If your client has a good reputation in their service area, you can leverage good backlinks. What do I mean by that? Well, you might think, well, you know, they're not trying to be widespread. Like, what type of backlinks are these guys going to get? They're not writing blog posts for themselves. Are they really going to write, like, guest, po- guest 
blog posts on someone else's blog and then backlink? No, but before before you go further, Matt, can you actually explain backlink? Because I think a lot of people might not understand it. I remember this term was kind of like voodoo for me when I first started starting out. Yeah, so so for a backlink, it would be like let's just say, for example, uh, let's just say Mike and I are two separate entities. We don't work for the same business. So I have you know Matt.com and Mike has Mike.com. Sure. And let's just say Mike has been writing on his blog for a very long time and he has a, you know, a lot of trust in the industry, lots of great traffic, uh, high DR, uh, which is, I think your domain rating. Um, you know, he, he, he's doing great. His site's doing great SEO and everything. I'm just getting started. So I don't, you know, I don't have any dings in my SEO or anything, but I'm, you know, just getting started. One way to sort of gain trust and whatever is to have me or have, excuse me, Mike place a link to my website from his. And so oftentimes it'll be like, I approach Mike and I go, Hey Mike, can I write a blog post for you? And I, can I put a uh, link in there? Um, and many people will be like, yes, you can. And they'll say, you know, a no follow link or a follow link. I believe a follow link's better. I'm just learning about a lot of backlink stuff now, but I believe a follow link is better because then Google will crawl Mike's site because it is his SEO is good. And then it will follow that link that he shared to my site. And then it's like, Oh, you know, and it, it kind of like raises my authority. It raises my, my, my domain rank because it's like, oh, cool. Like Mike and Matt are together type thing. A, fo- a follow link is better for the person that they're following too, but worse for the person that's allowing the follow link on their site. Correct. That's how it works. Yeah. Correct. Because, because a, um, again, like I'm just learning this. So I don't know every ins and out, but because a lot of like sort of the bigger websites out there will say, yeah, guest post, of course, but all your links have to be no follow links, which Correct. means like Google won't follow the link, but because their site's so big, people might still click the link. And so that's still good for you. So basically it's like you're making this web of authority. Like if just think about if in, in a local business, if Mike literally said, I endorse like in a, in a local way, not online at all. If you were like in a small town in like a town city hall meeting and you literally go, I endorse Matt's business and you were like a big business owner that raises my authority that raises my oomph, let's say. And people are like, Oh, Matt's cool too. Then I guess. Right. And then I might get some business. So kind of think of it that way. Um, and so like, obviously it's hard for a very small business to get good backlinks, but there's a lot of local things. Again, it's a lot of like small business things that you can play on a lot of uh, small businesses, municipalities, counties, the whatever provinces, they what, what they'll do is they'll have small business registries. Get on those things because they'll often be on the government website or on a reputable bus- lo- local business um, you know, some sort of club or whatever. Get on those registries. Get on them. And 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 is it going to, you know, raise you to, you know, to get 10,000 like one from 100 people to 10,000 people? Probably not, but it's still good to get that backlink. Also, blogs that cover local news and business, of course, get on there, right? Um, a, a common example is a lot of small small towns, a lot of uh, rural places will still have a small um, newspaper, although those, those are kind of dying out now, but a lot of them will still have them. And those newspapers are also digital. So they'll literally have it in print. People can buy it and ship it out and whatever. But then they also have it online. And then they'll put hyperlinks, obviously, in the actual article. So you can try to get in on one of them, you know, have them interview you. Oh, hey, we're having a grand opening or, oh, there's a local town festival. We're going to have a booth there. We're going to be giving away this. I think the town people would be really, really interested. Can you have one of your reporters do like a piece on us? There's your backlink. Boom, right there. Same thing goes with radio stations, right? You can go on radio stations. They'll share you on, they'll, they'll share you on 
social media, if you're doing like a giveaway and you convince them like, hey, I'm doing this, this big giveaway. I really want a lot of people to enter. Do you think you could help me? Fantastic. Or, hey, I'm doing free oil changes for, you know, whenever the Peach Festival is on or something. Fantastic. You know, they'll they'll advertise you. So try to advertise, again, those little strengths, those things where the big companies won't see that. They don't know about, you know, the newspaper that sells 500 a week. They don't know about them. It's irrelevant to them. But you would do great with 500. Imagine 500 more customers to a small to a small like local car repair shop. <laughs> that's a lot of people. That's also a lot of money because they're not all paying 100 bucks. And that's still a lot of money. <laughs> so they're all paying more than 100 bucks more than likely. So like that's that's great. Also, if their businesses complement social media. And I'm just going to leave it there because I have a little subsection about this because I'm going to talk at length about that. But some businesses complement social media without really realizing it. And you can help just as a brief uh, sort of summary, you can help get actual blog posts from it. You can help keep the site fresh. There's a lot of great things you can do with it. And we'll, we'll talk about it right after this point here, which is have content written for specific local angles. And this is something that we, you know, we've touched on a little bit where it's like, you know, maybe you have like a fair page talking about your fair booth. But here's another example. So let's just say you have a business that makes fire pits, you know, little cooking pits or little fire pits. And there's like, you know, you make the little metal things around it. You have a little storage for the wood and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Having, you know, having blogs that talk about the local fire regulations and fire permits may help locals read them in plain English. So the local town, the local municipality, the local government may not really have their fire regulations and fire permits written in the most non-legalese way. Sometimes it'll be really sort of legalese on the site and sort of like you're, you're left to your own devices, right? You can take that because you probably understand it being in the fire pit business, translate it effectively to just plain English or plain whatever language you, you speak, write all about it. SEO the crap out of it for the local angle, like, hey, this small town in Ontario, whatever the name is, Tobermory, Tobermory, Ontario, these are the new 2023 fire regulations, blah, 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 blah. This is what it says. This is what it says. This is the source. Links back to the to the government website. And we can help you with that. Our fire pits are within the, the different local things, and you can have fires of this size and whatever it is. Fantastic. And so then they, they'll come to you first to understand, to, to read and understand that. Now you become a trusted authority on the local fire laws, and now you're going to sell more fire pits. Chances are, so it's again you you have to play those local angles that the big companies wouldn't know because they don't have boots on the ground. But like you, as the freelancer, maybe you live there, but the person that you're working for definitely lives there, and so they'll know these little nuances. And this is difficult, you know. I I, I do want to be clear, like this stuff is difficult, and and I think should be done over time, even though we are leveraging SEO strengths. It still should be done over time, but it's an easier sell to tell somebody, hey, we're going to play on, you know, the local, this festival. We're going to play on the local fair. We're going to play on the local, you know, this or the local fire laws that change every year or whatever it is, right? We're going to play on them. And like, like we're going to, we're going to write about those things. We're going to help people out with them. It's a lot better to leverage these strengths because they're so direct and you can do them throughout the year as the festivals happen, as the events happen, as the seasons change, if you have a seasonal business, those type of things, right? You can really kind of play those angles and then you can go with it. One example of a seasonal business as a final sort of example would be if you're running a landscaping business 
and the town hires you, a local business, of course, to fix up their flower beds in the middle of town. Fantastic. You take a bunch of pictures, you share them all over social media, and maybe you have like an article about that saying, hey, you know, spring's right around the corner. We just fixed up these flower beds. These flowers are going to be in bloom in the next couple of weeks. Do you want your flower beds to be in bloom in the next couple of weeks? Call us up. That's that's fantastic. That's a great little local advertisement. Get you a couple, get, give you, get you a couple of customers. Great, great amount of SEO for the local stuff. Done. So we're going to touch on that social media strength here first, or like last, excuse me. So this is kind of a lengthy section, but what do I mean by a social media strength? So many businesses will complement social media really well, but they don't leverage it at all or not efficiently. So for example, a contractor might not want to write blog posts. That's going to be a hard sell. Telling them, hey, go do construction all day and then come back and write about construction. Seems like, nah, man, I'm not going to do that. But they may take a lot of pictures of their of their business, of their of their trucks, of the job site, of the before and the after and what they're building, of the bad work someone else did that they fixed, all kinds of stuff. And so we need to leverage this for content. So they might just literally show this. Some small businesses will just show this literally a picture to the people they meet. They go to a quote meeting and they literally just say, hey, take a look at these projects that I had. And they go to their iPhone gallery and they're just showing the client this. This is content that is just sitting on this person's phone that we can use. We can leverage this for site content. One of the lowest hanging fruit is a social media feed. So sometimes these people will post onto Instagram about their projects, of course. And to keep the site fresh, we can have a social media feed on the site. We can have it like an Instagram feed or something like that sitting on the site to make the site look and stay fresh. You can see, oh, hey, cool, you know, this person, uh, you know, ha- fixed up the local legion or this person fixed up the local flower bed or this person fixed, you know, whatever. Also, and this is a much easier sell, although it's still difficult, but a much easier sell than a blog post. If you can teach your client to write up a half-decent description for their Instagram post, for example, and then they point their Instagram profile to their site, they're kind of practicing keywords a bit. They're getting a little better at writing. They're getting a little better at it. And then people who go and search things up on Instagram or you know, they get the local whatever it is, they get for whatever reason they're advertised or shown it in the discovery feed. They're shown it. And then they go to the profile and go, oh, shoot, I didn't know these people were around. That's a great flower bed. I see that every day driving past the work. Maybe I'll get them to do my flower beds, those type of things, right? Get them to sort of slowly start doing those descriptions. And then once they're good at writing the descriptions, maybe we can design a system where they social post, meaning they post on social media. But they do it on their blog. They do it on their site. So we actually have them on the CMS actually posting those descriptions. Hey, man, when you do a big project, don't write that same thing you would on Instagram, write it on the site. Throw it on there. Great. Let me take a look at it. Oh, I can, you know, fandangle this a bit. Maybe I can, like, add a few things. I can ask you some questions we can add to it. Maybe it's just great and we just leave it. Try to get the client involved a little bit to sort of, like, it's a it's an easier sell to sort of sell them it piecemeal like this rather than say, you got to write blog posts for the, rest of the, for the rest of your business's life. They're going to be like, no, no way, right? And you can actually kind of like, I don't want to say AI this, but you can sort of automate this, I guess, to an extent where sometimes you can get the the CMS, you can get the person to say, hey, don't post on Instagram, post on your site. We have like a little like blog or just like, you know, quick, quote unquote, social media posts on the site. 
but we have like a bot that automatically shares it to your Instagram too, or your automatically shares it to your Facebook if, or, or automatically shares it to your Twitter if there's an API available and if you're allowed to do that. And try to leverage some of this automation stuff and make the most out of your CMS so that the client is basically doing the job. They're writing a brief description and maybe they're getting a small little social post slash blog post on their website. And then they're also getting a social media post out of it as well. Leverage those social media strengths because some businesses really uh, are really sort of picturesque like that. Construction, like I said, is perfect for that. Before and after shots. Hey, I fixed this person's shoddy work stuff. Hey, look at this old deck that was 100 years old. Now it looks brand new. I refinished it. Uh, hey, we're a local bakery. Look at these artisan jams. Those are fantastic social media things. Might as well write a little bit about that. What's in that jam? Like ask your client, what's in that jam there? What what do you do differently to those strawberries? You know, this is, sounds ridiculous, but it works. What do you do differently to those strawberries than Smucker's does? Oh, you do that, do you? Well, let's write that on the site and kind of get them a little involved and excited and leverage their own social media strengths. And if the business is known among locals, okay, teaching your client to interact, especially on social media, with other local businesses, especially relevant local businesses, can net them some great cross promotion. So for example, your client and their friendly business friend on social media might repost or retweet on Twitter slash X, whatever, whatever they call it these days. But that is a great little way to get them interacting. And they're not doing it on mass. They're not writing 60 replies a day. And then they're also posting three times a day. No, they're focusing on like the jam scene or the construction scene or the whatever. A general contractor might hate to do decks. They always hire a deck builder. Fantastic. The deck builder has a social page. The contractor has a social page. They converse with each other. Cross promotion. Fantastic. That's exactly what you want. I think to add to that last point there, I, I do think that it's important to kind of coach your client on uh, talking to the their clients as well, like their audience or their uh, users. Because a lot of times when you start your social media presence on Instagram, for instance, you'll be posting stuff and potential customers might be posting like comments under your uh, pictures. And if like you can just leave them, sure. Or you can interact with them, like reply to a to the comments in some meaningful way, like talk about maybe somehow start that connection in the comments of your social media posts. And that works quite well, not only through comments, but DMs. A lot of times you'll find clients from just interacting with people through social media. Um, a lot of accounts will repost you and stuff like that. And then people will comment on the repost. Like there's, there's a lot of opportunities to find clients through simple, you know, really gen not generic, but really personal messages. Having said that, you also need to coach your client on how to, um, properly post. Like they, you want there to be a personality, but you also don't want them to, you know, put their opinions on their page and alienate a certain portion of their, of their customers. Uh, you want them to just be personable, but you know, it's business. This is a business account. This is not a, you know, personal political account that you could post whatever you want on. So you need to have, you need to kind of ride that line a little bit, talk to your clients about how to ride that line, but to leverage social media, I, in my opinion, you really need to leverage the social aspect of it as much as the posting aspect of it to get the most from it. The the replies is actually a really good thing that I almost should have put in here because especially with Google reviews, if you give them a Google My, my Business card, 
having people reply to reviews is so crucial, especially if someone's critical in a Google review, because people will read the business's response. And sometimes the business is like a totally legit thing where you're like, hey, I told you this wasn't waterproof and you sprayed it with a hose, <laughs> you know, and then the people will be like, oh, that's kind of a non one star review then like someone's just being a fool type thing. Um, but then also, you know, the more positive side of things, you don't you are interacting with your clients, you are interacting with your friendly other social media business pages. And so like that's kind of what social media is all about gets into the algorithm, et cetera, et cetera. Last thing here is content and efficiency. So push for content and efficiency. We've said it before, push for content. Make sure you get like more than a sentence from your clients. It's really difficult to do sometimes, but content is king in SEO. As you write more, you can target more, meaning keywords. You can gain more authority. You can have people that will want to share more specific pages. So you'll earn backlinks naturally because people are sharing pages without you asking or paying for backlinks. Um, and we've already mentioned one major social or one major efficiency, excuse me, which is changing social media posts into mini blogs, right? Where we can kind of leverage the CMS and their description, their Instagram uh, image description writing skills to generate those mini blogs, right? Well, maybe you can sort of make your CMS kind of be a part of the workflow and not just for the website. So for example, maybe you can make it so that, you know, when they go on social media, it automatically goes into the CMS drafts. Or you can make it so that, like, I mean, with AI, again, I always hesitate to say with AI, but you can make it so that when somebody writes on Instagram, the CMS automatically sees that, it checks once a day or something, it sees that, assuming there's like an API for that, you go in, you take that information, you post it, but then an AI Maybe an AI plugin in WordPress or something like that will suggest a blog post about it or will suggest a sentence about it or will AI some SEO stuff, meaning the technical SEO will fill in the title and the description and those type of things, right? Try to really sort of automate things because this is a small business that doesn't have the time and all that. Like I've said before, they don't have the time and the efficiency and the people. They need the efficiency. They need the efficiency more than anything because they can't be going in, even though if you just say, hey, it's only, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a night. It's like, yeah, but like this is a contractor. They get home late. They're tired. They're not going to want to go on and be like, like, oh, like, yeah, that title's good. Yeah, that description's good. You know, try to make it as efficient as you can for them. And so whether they're like, just approving the titles or like whether they're just approving the titles over writing them or whether the titles and the whole mini blog is automatically posting and they do nothing but check it every now and then and then maybe correct from there. Try to make things as quickly uh, or excuse me, as efficient as possible in their workflow so that they don't have to worry about it because because time is money. And for these small businesses, they don't want to spend extra time because usually their expertise is not in this. You know, a small business generally isn't like a niche site, even though that quote unquote is a small business. We're talking about literally like the local bakery and stuff like that, where they're bakers. <laughs> they're not they're not they're not website people like they don't they they care, but they don't care. Uh, I think Mike and I've said it a million times. They need the site. They don't want the site. They're not super passionate about their site where they're like this SEO to be perfect. And these titles got to be perfect. And I want to have data every day. They're going to be like, what data? <laughs> you know, they don't they don't they're bakers. They're talking about flour and stuff. They're not talking about the meta description. So if you can try to make the CMS do, do some heavy lifting, find some AI tools that can do some heavy lifting. Um, we have, we have Mike and I have tools where it'll like it'll archive our podcast onto YouTube um, automatically, but in private as a backup, but also in case we do want to publish it on YouTube, that's all automatic. And like, it's something that helps us, right? So a hundred percent 
try to make the most out of the workflow by making things efficient using you know automation tools, AI tools, those type of things. SEO-centric businesses will constantly evolve and change their SEO. We've talked about this, but this constant obsession with the site will turn off many small businesses as we've already discussed. So to help them, we can sell them on the same strategy, but not indefinite. We can make it definite. What do I mean by that? Let's say we talk to them, we go, okay, we're not going to have an SEO strategy where we have a strategy meeting every three months and then we constantly adjust the strategy and we have a writer and a, this person and a, that person and we got you know this like this team of people trying to make sure that you get people to come in and repair their car. What if we say we have a definite thing? What if we say, let me hire a writer, give me a thousand dollars. I'm just making up a number. Let's say uh, I can get a writer for a thousand bucks and he'll write 10 to 50 articles. I know that's a big variance, but 10 to 50 articles and that's it. We'll, we'll try to do as many timeless articles as we can, meaning like, you know, historical articles are great because history, unless like a new discovery happens, doesn't change. Um, we'll try to make it so that they're not necessarily based on viral topics, right? Where like the viral topic will need to be out today and then it'll die tomorrow. You know, instead of that, we'll talk about legitimate things like, hey, like, when should you change your oil in your car? What type of noise is bad for your brakes? You know, is it just the fact that it rained and it's wet out or does those brakes need to be changed? Those are sort of timeless things, more or less, right? Focus on things that have like good longevity, meaning the content doesn't need to be updated or changed that are relevant to the business. And we can get 10 to 50 of those articles. We'll post them on there for you. And then you won't touch the blog again. How about that? And the person might go, thousand bucks. Yep. Sounds good. And that's, and now they've just gone from five page small business you know, static website to five page small business website plus a blog with 10 to 50 articles. You're targeting a lot more keywords. You can technical SEO the, you know, like the pants off of that. You're on Google now. They still have their Google search console and their Google analytics, which you set up for them. Everything's cool that way. And they're able to expand out of their little sort of corner of just their five pages. Also, you can sell them on sort of a slow burn indefinite amount of SEO. So similar to this. So you can tell them, you can say, hey, We'll do the 10 to 50 articles. Great. How about I come in once a year? We'll do an SEO check. So it's not going to be daily. It's not going to be weekly. It's not going to be every other month. It's going to be once a year. I'm going to come in. We're going to take a look. We're going to maybe flip through your articles. Hey, cars don't use brakes anymore. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. But cars don't use brakes anymore. These articles are no good. We need to replace these. Hey, cars uh, use a different type of oil now or something. We need, to, we need to change this. You come in. You fix. You adjust. You leave. You're out by the end of January or end of February. You're out and you're gone for the next year. And you just come in and you just slowly sort of tweak them a little bit. Selling somebody on something that is indefinite is really difficult. Selling them on something that is definite, meaning thousand bucks, 50 articles, good. Some people will be like, thousand bucks, go for it. They don't care about that. Fantastic. Still going to be a little bit of a difficult sell with local businesses, but if you can try to explain to them, like, hey, we're now targeting brakes and we're targeting tires and we're targeting uh, you know, tire storage and we're targeting our services and the competitor services and we're doing comparison articles and listicles and, we're, you know, blah, 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 blah. By you doing this, you're gaining, gaining them content. It's now making their site more efficient SEO wise. And they're not thinking about it. It's a definite thing. They're up. We're walking away. I like that approach. I think for small businesses that can really work. Cause again, they just don't have the energy and the time to manage SEO. Um, the other thing that I do want to add, like as a final point here, and I mentioned a little bit at the very beginning of the episode is there are paid ads 
like Facebook has paid ads and Google has paid ads, uh, Twitter has paid ads. We don't usually like with small businesses, it's, it's tough to convince them to spend the money because it's not like you spend the money and bam, you get clients. It's usually a figuring out phase. So you have like a budget of $1,500, $2,000, and it, that budget could be thrown into the fire pit. But the point of that budget is figuring out where they should spend them their next $5,000, $10,000. Um, that, that sell is really hard and you have to really like maybe combine it. You have to be a good salesman. It's something that you really need to work on and you need to practice yourself on finding the right path for where to put money. That skill is really, 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 really important if you want to grow your business from small web dev shop to massive SEO agency. That's out of the scope of this episode, I would say, but I just wanted to mention it again, just to make it like clear that it is a path forward. It's just a more cost uh, prohibitive path. And it's something that you need to really like buckle down and learn before you can fully apply it to a customer and get them to, you know, light $10,000 on fire and see no results. But a lot of times, if you're good at it, and I've seen people that are good at it, it can be, hey, I'm putting a $10,000 in, I'm getting $50,000 back. And some clients, some agencies that I've talked to even put it like, hey, we're so confident in our skills that we're guaranteeing that the $5,000 that you put in, you will at least double in sales. But a lot of times it's like even more than that. So that that's how they kind of uh, put it. And then if the guarantee means that if you don't double in sales, you literally get your money back. So you, the, the we will lose money. Right. We don't do that. I'm not saying Matt, Matt and I do that because we're, we don't have the expertise to guarantee anything like that. But that's where like SEO, the SEO game is going. And if you get good, you can make a lot of money. And you, you gain references over time. So like, you know, we, we helped that one guy with his Google My Business as well as his site. But the Google My Business is what really helped. So we learned a bunch about Google My Business. And now we can actually tell other businesses, you know, anonymize the details, of course, and just say, hey, you know, we, we got this person 300 percent more of this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, name all the metrics. And then same thing with our site where, you know, we're working on the HTML of the things site. And I'm like, hey, you know, we have 300,000 impressions on Google in the last three months. We just started taking this seriously. Like, you know, who else, meaning usually like a smaller business, who else wants this type of results? And people are like, yeah, I was like, all right, let's go because I know how to do that now. Right. So then, yeah, like you know, you, you can slowly build your agency, whether it's a, a web agency, like a web dev agency or SEO or a mix of both. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's a it's a bit of a learning thing. And also Google platform changes come and go and mess things up and help and all that stuff. So uh, you're shooting at a moving target, which is a difficult thing to sell small businesses on, which is unfortunate. Just like Mike said, with the Facebook ads, you're trying to figure it out, but then the target might move on you. And then you're trying to figure it out again. And yeah, it's going to be a pain uh, for people that have a very small budget. But I mean, with these tips that in this episode, hopefully it will help you, you know, just, just boost someone's presence online. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, at the most efficient and best way to do it and this and that, because they probably can't afford that. This is to get them on there, get them sharing stuff on social, if if applicable, get their site looking professional, beat out their their local competitors and like kind of play within their weight class. You're not trying to a local grocery store is not trying to fight Whole Foods. They're trying to fight the local grocery store literally next to them type thing. So and that's kind of what this episode is about. So I think that does conclude this episode, unless you have anything else to add, Mike. Nope, I'm good to go. 
Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in. And if you want to support the show, episodes like this, you can check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And also, like I said earlier, we do have an affiliate link with Scrimba if you want to learn all about uh, web development through an interactive uh, video and uh, code editor. You can go check it out uh, there. The link will be in the description of this episode, as well as the show notes on HTML, all the things dot com and many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons ryan gatchel from blueback digital and blueback tim from the web hack on webhacker.com jason from geek life radio via geek life radio.com michael curie from mc web studio via mc web studio.ca uh magnus from yes web via yes web.se jeff from twitter via at the jeff McHale, fire and season via fire and season.com gunner brunette via gunnerbrunette.com watoto coding via watoto coding.com garrett segal and level up financial planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com Feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform you're listening to this on and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.